0: Cheers to another episode of the Wine Notes podcast. I'm your guide, AJ Winezuttle, on this journey of stories, showcasing the people behind the wonderful world of wine, where we dive into conversations ranging from terroir, viticulture, to favorite music, superpowers, and more. Please enjoy this episode of the Wine Notes podcast. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time and. Uh you know it's I, i've heard a lot of crazy stories and hopefully we can uh talk about some of those stories today.
1: Well, I'm stoked to be here AJ and yeah. uh yes, let's let's tell some crazy stories.
0: Yeah, so you know, it's everybody's wine journey is a little bit kind of kind of different and uh you know, how you just end up crossing paths with people is quite interesting. So the first time I actually came in came in contact with you was I think it was <clears throat> April of 2019. You posted some pictures of planting some vines in uh, Bhutan in a a shared WhatsApp group that, you know, that we're constantly on for like a like a men's self-help group. That was that was amazing. And then uh, February 2020, I was in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida for a uh, NLP uh, conference. And there were some, you know, some of those same guys that were there. And I remember at dinner, we were talking about wine, opening it up. And uh, I'm like, hey, have you read Michael Juergen's wine newsletter? And they're like, no. I'm like, here, let me open up, you know, an email and read it to you. So, you know, the very first one starts off with, oh, you're a wine guy? What's your favorite wine? I hate that fucking question. First pro tip of the day, don't ask the fucking question. Um. And I wish you could have been there to, to see everybody's response and uh, what, what, you know, what they were saying and everything. Cause right then they're like, we got to get on this newsletter. And it was just, <laughs> it was a dire downhill spiral from there.
1: What's funny is, is like, like I never started um, to try to like create a wine newsletter. It was quite the opposite. Actually. I refrained from, from doing one. And then I was reading this book um, on the plane about wine and in it the author was making fun of Shannon blanc and i and literally said Shannon blanc is a garbage grape and i was like no it is not Shannon blanc is right. fucking great and i was pissed it's so, like literally i was on the plane <laughs> and i was mad and so i popped open my computer and i wrote an email to like 10 of my friends saying if you don't know about chenon blanc you start drinking some right now and that's how the whole thing started. It wasn't like I had this huge like master plan. It was I literally was just sending some shit to my friends uh, that I thought they might be interested in. And
0: yeah, then, and, you know, and some of the best things just kind of happened that way.
1: Yeah, it was weird. I mean, it, it, there was never there was never any foresight behind it. There still is to this day. <laughs> Basically, when I get around to it, I pop open my you know, email and I write up whatever is on my mind at the time. And I send it out
0: um, yeah,
1: no, I, yeah, it's, no, it, it's, it's, it's,
0: it's awesome. It's fun. And I'll shut up and I'll let you talk.
1: No, <laughs> no, no. It's it, what I think is hilarious about it is, um, like the <laughs> people either love it or really, really hate it. And, uh, like, if you look on like my Amazon reviews, it's <laughs> 95% of them are five star, but 5% are one star and those people. Those reviews are pretty interesting to read because they're like this oh, I, 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 guy. He curses. He doesn't treat wine with respect, and he. like,
0: Yeah, but they they don't even begin to understand you because you are totally respectful of of the wine, and it's just it's the way you talk is just who you are.
1: Yeah, I write the way and, I talk.
0: Uh, Right, it, it, exactly the. One of the things I'm kind of curious about, you know, I've heard stories, you know, of uh, of the self-help group that, you know, we were both members of or still kind of members of or whatever. Um, you were on some crazy, crazy journeys and, and whatnot. And I think I kind of got in on the, uh, the last half of it. And, you know, it was more about, you know. Uh, deep inner game work and whatnot, but I think that y'all were blowing up cars or, you know, out in the middle of the desert and like, you got like 20 hours to get back to the strip. You got no cell, you know, you got no keys, no cells, you know, go. And you were like blindfolded or whatever. And just, just sent out there that, that, that was just absolutely crazy.
1: Well, and what's funny is, is, um, you know, some of my best friends to this day are folks that, you know, we met through that group. And so, um, Two of those guys flew out from the East Coast this weekend um, for uh, for my going away party. Um, and and one of the two guys was literally um, my team member for that, for that trip. We we're going to tell stories about that literally uh, last night. There's Mr. Today. What's going on?
0: Yay. Yeah. Howdy, howdy. I
1: don't, know, I don't know if you guys remember each other from um, from DAC lie. Like AJ used to join Doc Live occasionally. Okay. All right. And Ryan was the guy that was always wearing the, the, the Eagles gear. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Yeah. No, it's that, been a couple of years, so I, I, yeah. I don't remember.
1: But he's, uh, um, aside from being an investor in the acclaimed Bataan Wine Company, uh, Mr. Today is also a W Set diploma holder. So, I mean, he's, he's no leading wine influencer like me, but huh. you know, no
0: slouch. Of course not. There, there's no way to follow in your footsteps, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then AJ like his hobby is just. Uh, you got a ton of followers, I think, for your, for the Oregon. What's it called? Oregon Vino Country or something?
0: Yeah, Oregon Vino Country. And I just recently changed it over to Wine Notes. But yeah, I'm approaching like eight thousand followers, which is crazy. That's that's unbelievable.
1: That's that's so great. But it, same sort of thing, right? Like, did you set out and say, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this," or you were just kind of doing it because you were interested into it?
0: I was doing it because I, yeah, I I was interested, you know, one of the really uh, big things that I wanted to do uh, was to start a newsletter, you know, so I, you know, I do a weekly newsletter as well. And I, there's, I think I'm up to about 1600 subscribers, a 70% open rate, you know, and it's just, you know, it's, you know, evolving every single, you know, you know, every few months. And, you know, just like you, it's like, where am I going? I, I, I don't know, but this is a fun little journey. Let's keep going.
1: Yeah, let's just let's see what happens, you know, and if and if yeah. people are are uh, are interested in the content, you know, great, more power to them. I think we could all use a little bit more uh, wine knowledge, particularly in America.
0: I I totally agree. Oh, uh, I think well, it was a week or two ago. You're you're at Pro Vine. What was that like,
1: dude? If you've not gone to Pro wine, you should go. It's spectacular it's um I think there were 17 halls and you know each hall is like the size of a you know a high school gymnasium and it's just wine right. range from everywhere in the world and they're all pouring as much wine as you possibly drink and it's I, I think the first day I, that we're, we were there I think I tasted at least 300 wines we were trying Holy to source the wines for uh the Bhutanese airline And, um, yeah, I taste, I bet I tasted at least 300 the first day. It was just insane.
0: That, that is absolutely insane. I mean, I've been to some major uh, tech conferences and whatnot, so I can only imagine, uh, I've actually been to like a a pizza conference in, in Vegas where, you know, you just, you just gouge yourself on pizza. So I can only imagine what ProVine's like.
1: Yeah. So imagine the wine version of that. Yes. Like seriously, by, by, you know. The first hour, <laughs> we're just like, shit, we better pace ourselves or this is going to get ugly fast.
0: And Super it, it, it. crazy fast. And I'm sure there were some crazy after parties too, right?
1: Well, there were. Um, and uh, the problem is, is that you've been drinking all day. And so then you're in no shape for the after party. But one night, um, the Club Vin guys were doing an event um, for the what their their whole program with NFTs and wine is. And they threw this just ridiculous um, Riesling party where we were popping open like oh. shit from the 70s and magnums of stuff that you couldn't get. There's one one of the magnums that we got. The guy basically, the winemaker was there from the Mosul and he goes, Here's the deal with this wine. I made three magnums and I sold two of them. And this is the only oh. one in existence and we're going to drink it right now. And we're like, Fuck yeah, we oh, did. That sounds awesome. And, yeah. But we did. Yeah, it was it was pretty great. Did you do the scan thing with it? With the with the bottle? they have that set up? They did have it set up. Um I was basically busy fucking around, like uh-huh. talking to people and shaking hands and stuff, so I didn't do it. I just told David to like air like airdrop oh, to my you- to my account. Yeah. You should you should check these Don't guys that. out too, AJ. They're doing some interesting um it's kinda like board eight, but for wine. So they right, they was. this.
0: I, I have looked into into Club Devin and I was going to, you know, we can go ahead and segue in, into that a little bit because I was, I was really curious about, you know, uh, about Club Devin and, you know, I have it on my, uh, on my radar to, to talk to, I think, David. Uh, yeah, But yeah, I mean, so. Entry, I'm,
1: so happy to, I'm happy to intro you if you need one.
0: Okay. No, thank you. Um, so my understanding, you know, it, it is a very interesting concept, you know, using the, um, uh, the Polygon blockchain to, you know, to keep record of, you know, the smart contracts and whatnot for, you know, opening bottles of wine and, uh, and whatnot. And, you know, it, I don't want to assume everything, right? And I'm sure that everybody listening, you know, probably wants to kind of a more of an understanding of, of Club Devin itself. So I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit about what Club Devin is and what its purpose is.
1: So, I mean, if you think about um, just the world of wine, you know, counterfeiting and provenance has been an issue for forever. And so, there's a lot of pretty fucking stupid NFT use cases. Um, you know, I like care pay a million dollars for this picture of a rock. You know, it just doesn't really have any intrinsic value. Um, but if you think about the use case in the wine space, it to me it makes an enormous amount of sense. If I buy a bottle of wine. I want to know where it's been, who's had it, is it legit, and, and so, so on and so forth. And so, attaching NFTs to wine bottles to me seems like a pretty legitimate um, use case. And then there's another piece of this that says, like, imagine you're, um, you know, you're the head winemaker for uh, for DRC, you know, and so you put your love and your care, and you make this brilliant bottle of wine. That you sell to somebody for a thousand bucks, and then that person immediately turns around and resells it at auction for ten thousand to somebody else who's not going to drink it, but is going to resell it at a different auction. And that wine might create, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in value trading in the secondary market. But the person who created it gets nothing. And so, right. also setting up NFTs for wine bottles so that when there is a secondary market, um, that the winemaker can participate in some of that value creation. I think makes a ton of sense. Um certainly from the producer's perspective it does. Oh yeah. And uh and then the third piece of this which I think is is interesting is the idea of you know uh a community around it. Um like so you you know, you, you build this community that you can belong to um and with that membership comes access to shit that you would not normally get access to. Whether that could be um, you know, going to get a tasting at Chateau Petrus um, because you're a member of the Club de Vin community, or getting to go to Bhutan and participate in you know the first harvest ever in a country which has not been done in a long, long time. Um, right. So I think it's it's the idea of, of solving multiple problems with a you know a single tech platform. Um, Ryan's a member too, actually yeah okay. so I think like a couple to add a, a couple thoughts to it also the what I was kind of uh pointing to is like if you were to open this like rare bottle um you could then log on and say hey we opened this and then you could uh scan the code and drop nfts to all the people who participated and it would have uh, metadata that would be added on which is pretty cool because like you know in that way you could kind of keep a library and like remember Who was there who participated what you were doing what the occasion was um so i think that's pretty cool and uh the other thing is like i guess the the producer could say well you have collected say x amount of these bottles and so i'm going to allow you to participate in in like you know some some rare one-off and I think the trade-off is that, like, you also know who your customer is, right? If you have you, – the producer can, like, directly communicate with the customer itself by knowing what it is that they bought, what their what their taste is. So I think there's a lot of use cases in it that are, that are kind of interesting. Um, talking with David, like, we kind of both acknowledge it. Like, this may be something that in, like, five, ten years becomes <laughs> – it's, it's – the parlance needs to catch up. Like, people need to integrate it into their everyday life, which I think eventually will happen, and that's sort of what the bet is. Well, and I think what'll happen too is is you know Meta's working on that that linkage of NFTs to Instagram. So the second that thing goes live and you can post your NFT collection right. on your Instagram account, then the tasting tokens yeah. make a lot more sense. I was in um I went to Brussels. Um, I don't know, this was a few years ago. And I mentioned to somebody that I was going to Brussels and they go, Oh, you're going to Brussels? You've got to get this West Vletter in twelve. And I go, I don't know what that is. And they go, right. it's the best beer in the world. And I go, I don't give a fuck about beer. And they're like, well, <laughs> you need to care about this one. Uh, it's the best beer in the world. You can only get it in Brussels. And I go, all right, I'll keep an eye out. So I go into this bar, and uh, and I had written it down in my phone because I knew I was never going to remember what it was. So I, I go right. into the bar and I show the thing to the guy, and I'm like, do you have this? And he goes, yeah. We just got our monthly allocation. I have twelve bottles. I'll set you up. Like okay. Pulls out this this uh, bottle, no label on it. It's just a bare brown bottle straight out of the, the monastery. It's whatever it is, 20 euros. So I give him the 20 euros and he takes the cap off and he hands me the cap. And I take the cap and I go, whatever. And I put it on the bar. And he goes, don't you want the cap? And I go, no, I want the beer. Like, why would I want the cap? And he goes, oh, you want the cap. And so I go, okay. So I put okay. the cap in my pocket. And I forgot about it. Then the next morning I woke up and I'm like, why is there a fucking bottle cap in my pocket? It's <laughs> like, so Googled it and the bottle caps sell on eBay for seven bucks. That's oh. how important this beer is to people who care about that shit. And I've never forgotten that. But right. my whole thing about the tasting tokens is it's kind of like the digital version of that. Yeah. Like, you don't need the bottle cap. You got an NFT. Yeah. What cool. up, what's on the cap? Does it say? Does it say it like, just says like West Flatterin. Okay. And of course, like when you pry it open, like the cap, right. like bends in half. So it's right. not, it's a fucking bent in half cap for seven bucks. All right.
0: right. No, that, that is crazy. You know, one of the things. What's thing-
1: funny is, is my son was uh, going to Belgium with like a couple of his friends a few years later and I told him that story and I go, right. Hey, so just track down some of this beer and he dragged his friends all over Belgium <laughs> until they found this beer and then they tried it and they all hated it. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: So what did you think of the beer?
1: I thought it was great. I okay. mean, like I'm not a beer aficionado, but right. you know, I, I my pot is good for wine. Um, right. and I, I, enjoyed the hell out of it.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's cool. <clears throat> One of the things I was, I was kind of really curious about, you know, the club Ven and NFTs. And I know that the Polygon, uh, blockchain, <laughs> you know, is, you know, working on being carbon neutral by the end of the year and whatnot, you know, but you know, from an energy and gas, you know, standpoint, I mean, you could be popping like, you know, like you're at your party the other night. You pop like 100 bottles or whatnot. I mean, that's, you know, you'd be popping like 100 different, you know, NFTs in in one night. And, you know, you have the the energy conservation and then like, you know, the the farming aspect and trying to be aware of climate change and whatnot. You know what? I'm just kind of curious. I haven't had, had a chance to even like talk to somebody about you know, wine, NFTs and, you know, climate change and how it impacts the the climate or whatnot. I'm just curious of your thoughts.
1: I mean, it's an interesting um, conversation for for sure, right? Does blockchain make good sense for the planet? Um, And I I don't know that I have an opinion on it one way or the other. Clearly doing this for something like wine is going to burn some energy. Um, And so is that a, is that a good thing? I don't, you know, you, you could sort of look at it from the social value side of like, what's the cost to society of counterfeiting one. I don't know. Right. Or right. maybe what you do is, is so club depends a nonprofit, you know? Um, so their whole purpose is not necessarily to make money off of this. It's to sort of build a community. So maybe another way of doing it is you're, you're taking some of that, that, um, those fees and you're using it to buy, you know, carbon credits, or you're, you know, put pushing money back to the community in terms of grants for, um, you know, figuring out, you know, how to do more sustainable, um, you know, vitic- viticulture. I don't know. Yeah, no, it was, um, and, but-
0: and that's, that, and that's fine. I was just, I was just curious, you know, because. I don't know. I know at least here in Oregon, right. We talk a lot about, you know, biodynamic farming and, you know, live organic and all, you know, it, they get really deep into uh, the the climate side of the, the topic. So I, I'm a huge tech geek. I love tech and, you know, the whole blockchain I've been, you know, thoroughly uh, engrossed in it. And at first I was like, Oh yeah, this sounds amazing. This sounds fun. But then, you know, just thinking about it, you know, it's, it's just an in- interesting conundrum so I was just just kind I of think curious. there's a lot of
1: misinformation that's out there about this topic and I would I, I don't want to go like off on a tangent but I think that like it's worth people who are listening to do some research about this right. um because one of the things I think that people don't realize is that like the miners themselves are constantly seeking like the the lowest cost energy and so in like a lot of capacities what's become online is like where the, where there's oil uh being mined they have a lot of like burn off and flaring and so this flaring is basically just wasted energy that goes into the atmosphere but the miners are like well fuck! i could just like capture this and use this at low cost and so yes it's using energy but it's using energy that was going to be wasted and dissipated and so and also at the same time the miners are constantly driving to to innovate to find cheaper sources of energy so in a way it becomes kind of a de facto way of learning about how to find cheaper forms of energy in order to to use to use the blockchain so i you know that's interesting so it's in there it's a true capitalistic yeah. solution in the sense yep. that if they can do it yep they they'll make more money yep so why would you not? Know? right exactly so in theory then that would drive innovation or or allocate resources yep. to lower cost yeah uh energy producing technologies correct huh. yeah so so basically so bitcoin solves uh energy Or it's trying, trying, <laughs> trying, <we're> trying, <laughs> trying to innovate i actually had not thought about that yeah but that makes sense yeah like the way Larington is, is like is massively huge and like the same thing was happening in china mm-hmm. where like there the miners were moving their rigs to like so like there would be seasons where you would have like flooding and so there would be like massive hydroelectric uh cases that like could online and they would just move the rigs to like these dams and use the hydroelectric when it was in season oh interesting yeah like they're constantly trying to look for the lowest cost energy. It's not like oh, we're just gonna like burn energy and like try to burn <laughs> dollars here and destroy the planet, right? Like that's a it's kind of like a, a misnomer, I think. So
0: yeah, no, it, it's 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 a great discussion. You know, I appreciate your inputs on that, so I appreciate it.
1: Ryan's way more geeky about blockchain than I am, so I'm I'm I'll defer to his level of expertise in this one topic only.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's fair did did he help you put uh your um, your punk rocks uh album up on the blockchain as well <laughs> no no uh-uh.
1: i i yeah that's that's funny um what's what's interesting is i i got contacted with um by the this company that was one of the first to do nfts for concert ticket admissions right um and he's a dac reader actually that's how i connected oh. with this guy and, and uh and I mentioned I was doing this. And so his company got super excited about about the concept that we had for that album, which is where the entire album, not a song, not a download, but the entire album is the NFT itself. And so he's, he's talking to me about they maybe want to do something with that, that whole concept for all the bands that they do tickets for. So oh, the nice. idea would be like, you know, Pearl Jam comes out with the new album. And instead of a limited edition LP, you get a limited edition NFT, but they link it through to the tickets uh, for like the fan clubs. <laughs> nice. I was like, well, I don't really have a fan club for my music, <laughs> like, we, we talk about doing some NFT shit.
0: Yeah, no, that that is awesome. That's awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. Earlier, you, you were talking about you were trying to source some wine for the uh, Bhutan uh, airline. Did I understand that correctly?
1: Correct.
0: Yeah. So I, I know that you have such a crazy story about, you know, how you got involved into the, uh, into legislation, you know, creating all the laws and everything for, for wine and Bhutan and everything. So, and we, and we can get into that, but first, like, how did you get into like the, the, the sourcing for the airline?
1: <laughs> so, um, when you do business as a foreign entity in the Kingdom of Bhutan, you have to have a partner that is a Bhutanese citizen. Um, so I have two partners um, there that are Bhutanese citizens, and one of the two uh, is connected to the airline. And so historically, the airline has just kind of like, like they haven't had a wine program. You know, they they just buy whatever is available and stick it in the in the planes. Um, and, but they want to, they want to have like a more kind of thought out wine program um, for a first class and for coach. And right. so he had talked to me about it, oh, like a year ago. Um, and and obviously the pandemic and global sourcing and all kinds of crazy shit was going on. And so I said, yeah, let's, I'll, I'll, I'll help you with this, but, you know, let's wait until things kind of open up again. And so knowing I was going to go over to Pro Wine and I was going to have access to, to try a bunch of stuff that I might not get to try as easily here in the States. I got back in contact with him and said, hey, we're going to do this. I'm going to put your wine program together, which I did. And we came up with, I think, some really, really cool stuff. We're going to do a a France in first class, a a Saint-Emilion Grand Cru um, and a white Bordeaux. Uh, We had to find one that uh, was the right price point at the right quality level, which was why I drank like
0: 300 (laughs) wines the first
1: day. And then in, the, in Coach, we're going to do um, two wines from Italy, a Fiano and uh, kind of a red blend. Um, that, and I thought the Fiano was just spectacular. I don't like some of these, some of these companies, they sell wine wholesale for like two euros. And I'm just like, how in the world are you guys making money on this stuff? The bottle and the cap, and the closure, right. and the label, and, you know, is a buck.
0: Right. That's crazy.
1: But yeah, we were able to come up with some, some really high quality stuff. And now, now I can just add that box to my resume. I also created the wine for the (laughs) the Royal Airline of Bhutan.
0: That, That is absolutely absurd. So, you know, I don't know if you're sick and tired of telling the story of, uh, how you ended up, you know, uh, making wine and planting vineyards in Bhutan and whatnot, but, you know, uh, I, I'm sure that a lot of my, uh, my listeners and whatnot have absolutely zero clues. So if, if you could expand upon it a little bit, that would be great.
1: Sure. So, um, Bhutan is the little tiny kingdom in the Himalayas kind of between Tibet and Nepal, and it's about the size of Switzerland. Um, and it's the only carbon negative country on the planet. Um, it's, uh, they have a high kind of level of, um, environmental, uh, awareness, and as a, as a kingdom, they don't measure gross domestic products. They measure gross national happiness. Um, so it's widely regarded as this very happy, peaceful place. All of this I learned way later. I didn't know shit about Bhutan, um, other than my girlfriend had read a book about it in high school. And so um, was constantly talking about how amazing Bhutan was and how much she wanted to go there. So um, fast forward to um, us doing kind of crazy adventure shit around the world. You alluded to some of it uh, earlier, Um, but I had gone to Antarctica to run a marathon with some of the guys from our group. And while we were there, we said, let's go run marathons on every continent and also on the sea ice at the North Pole. This seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, And so randomly, I got an email that said, we're running a marathon in the kingdom of Bhutan. And if you would like to be considered, you know, please submit an application. And I go, oh, this is awesome. I can go to Asia and check the box off for Asia. And I can get to take my girlfriend somewhere where she's always wanted to go. And everybody wins. And so I said, hey, honey, guess what? We're going to Bhutan to run a marathon. And she goes, awesome. We're going to the Himalayas. And I go, no, we're not. (laughs) Bhutan's (laughs) in Indonesia. It's an island. And she goes, no, it isn't. It's a fucking, it's in the Himalayas. And I go, right. so I looked it up. It turns out she was right, <laughs> and it is in the Himalayas. So that's how we, we ended up going there. And we ended up going with this group of, like, ultramarathoners. And me being a wine guy while I was there, it just looked like there should be vineyards everywhere. Because they have all these beautiful terraced slopes, and they grow all this magnificent, you know, sustainable crops. And everything you eat there is, like, the best. Whatever it is that you've ever had, like this is the best red rice or this is the best fucking carrot, and so <laughs> I just assumed that there had to be vineyards. And um, we ended up at a at a dinner one night with a bunch of government officials who wanted to meet the crazy foreigners who had made the trip all the way to the Himalayas <laughs> to run a marathon. And so I'm sitting at the table with one of the guys, and I go, "Hey, where's your vineyards? I want to check them out before I leave." And he goes, we don't have it. And I go, no, no, no. Like, where, where you guys make wine? And he goes, we don't make wine here. And I go, how is that possible? Like, you guys have this beautiful country and you don't make wine? And he goes, no. We've never had grapes before. And so I've been drinking and uh, took it upon myself to <laughs> educate him on the why it would be a really good idea if his country started making wine. Right. right. Uh, that led to... Uh, the next conversation and the next conversation, and the next conversation. And I just thought the whole time that it would be cool if they did it. Like, I had not no designs of, oh, this should be the Mike Jordan show. I was like, this place is perfect for it, and you guys should really look into this. And they looked into it, and they came back, and they said, we want to try this. And I go, yeah, you guys should. And they're like, will you do it with us? And I was like, are you kidding? I get to be in charge of, like, a whole country worth of wine? Right. I don't think this has been done before. I think the last country that did this was New Zealand in the 1800s, where like, hey, we're gonna build a wine industry. Let's get some crazy foreign dude to come in and-
0: And make it one. happen. That, that's absolutely crazy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been this wild this wild ride. And uh, it's, it's sometimes I get, it's a little nerve wracking because there's so many unknowns and there are so many risk variables. Um, that, like, I desperately want to not fuck this up. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And I, I think at one point you were talking about, you know, trying to how to get all the um, equipment and stuff, you know, actually into Bhutan. Uh, and then, you know, another thing that you're you're worried about or we're worried about is, you know, monkeys coming in and eating the grapes. Yeah, I mean,
1: I just, so, so I, I got a really funny deer story. So we're learning about all this kind of stuff. Matter of fact, the other day I got a—I uh, have like a constant WhatsApp chat going with all our, our different vineyard managers over there, right? And they're always, you know, sending me daily updates. So the other day I get a thing on my WhatsApp, and it's a picture of this caterpillar, this neon green caterpillar that's about about that long and about as big around as my thumb. Damn! And it's on the grapevines, and it's eating the fucking vines. And so he sends me a picture of this. He goes, "Do you know what this is?" And I go. <laughs> Dude, it's your country. Like, <laughs> No, I don't know what that is. I've not seen anything like that before. That looks uh, like a toxic something or other. Right. It's like this bright neon green. And he goes, well, what should we do about it? <laughs> like, <we'll> take <laughs> you it <definitely> off know. <laughs> pick it off the vines and throw it in the grass over there. I like, get it out of there. But so so this one day we were having this conversation about uh, the vineyards. Uh, one of the vineyards deer got into it. And so the deer were eating the the vines, and he's like, "There's deer in the vineyards. Like, what do we do?" I'm like, "Get the deer out of the vineyards um, and put a fence around it." And he goes, "Okay, how big does the fence need to be?" And I go, "Deer can jump pretty high. Like, that fence needs to be like ten feet high." And he's like, "There's no way a deer can jump ten feet." <laughs> and I'm like, "Dude, a deer totally. can jump easily jump ten feet."
0: Totally. Yeah. So yeah. We,
1: <laughs> we're having this huge argument over WhatsApp. It lasts like a week about whether or not deer can jump 10 feet. <laughs> and so finally I go, yo, here's a just an interesting question. Like, how big are your deer? <laughs> he goes, you know, they're an average normal deer size. And I go, well, how big is that? And he goes, about 18 inches. I'm so like, <laughs> apparently in Bhutan, they have these little tiny fucking deer, like the size of a dog. Oh, my
0: gosh. Like, oh,
1: yeah, that guy probably can't jump 10 feet.
0: Yeah, probably not. Months.
1: The grapes a little higher. If you needed to, that could be a solution. Yeah. Uh, My other solution was let's get a couple dogs. Or you can get like you might be able to get like fox urine or something like that, like some predator that would like scare them off. Yeah. Well, one of the guys was telling me to put like rubber snakes all over the vineyard, and the rubber snakes will keep the. Yeah. (laughs) I tried the rubber snakes thing and all this stuff. I don't know if it's super successful, but okay. I was like, I don't know. So, yeah, <laughs> this is all the kind of weird shit that we're trying to figure out. And right. even things like the trellising. Yeah. Like, yeah, how how do you trellis- Like, I think the trellising w- could work, right? That could be something, especially if you think the Well, but then the other question is, is like, I'm actually trellising more for climate control, uh-huh. more so than pest control. Right. So I, I want to figure out, like, optimal trellising for phenolic development. Right. And use other solutions to keep the fucking monkeys and the deer out
0: yeah the oh, monkeys yeah, this
1: is this is the kind of weird shit that that goes on you know well, and I mean, I, every time it has this problem right like australia has the kangaroos and like you know i'm sure in america there's deer well i mean there's got to be deer probably in, de- oregon. Yeah, and the deer thing's probably been solved right there's probably some information about that
0: yeah given d- the a, amount of deer <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean the you know it's 10 foot fences here in oregon for deer so i mean yeah easily Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I think the idea of like, so in Bhutan, there's fucking dogs everywhere. So like dogs are sort of considered like to be good luck and they sort of belong to the community. So there's just like fucking dogs everywhere. And the dogs don't, you know, they don't even really have a house. They just kind of go, they live at everybody's house. Right. And So I was thinking about trying to get like a pack of dogs and just like put mm. a pack of dogs in the field because mm. um, I figured that would solve the monkey issue and the deer issue, mm. maybe not so much the caterpillar issue. But <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna. You're gonna. You're, you're, uh, your your um your tenth or twelfth book is gonna be all about uh, you know, pest control in, in in Bhutan or something.
1: Well, what's what's funny is 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 Bhutan's a Buddhist country, so like you can't kill anything. No. Like if like that applies to like beetles and worms and insects and like you got to figure out non invasive ways of, of managing all that shit. Yeah. And so we we're we had a beetle problem in one of the vineyards the first year we planted it and uh and they put chickens in the vineyard. I
0: mean, Interesting. The
1: chickens would just eat the beetles. They won't eat the grapes. No. Nah. <laughs> No, well, no. we didn't have we didn't have grapes. It was like the first <laughs> couple of years, um, but the beetles were eating leaves, and so the chickens and the chickens will shit, you know, right. uh, and so you get nitrogen going back in too. It was, um, it was kind of a, a decent solution, but right.
0: yeah, no, there, there's a, a farm up here in in Oregon. It's called Antiquum, and you know they use you know zero fertilizers and whatnot. Everything is completely natural, so they have these special pigs that kind of you know aren't super big and then after the pigs and they have geese that come in then after the geese and it's chickens and then after the chickens um uh, it's, it's something else so i mean they have it down to a science and it's absolutely phenomenal actually hear what they're doing
1: yeah there's a um i think there's a, a handful of, of companies that are really trying to do that sort of integrated um solutions with like different types of livestock and you bring them on at different points during the day the the geese is great for snails and slugs too. There's right. a, there's a winery in South Africa that has like five thousand geese, and there's there's some cool videos <laughs> like they open up the doors, and the bigger dog of geese run in. And like...
0: That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be absolutely amazing. Um...
1: So we're trying to figure all this shit out, and, and of course there's no um, there's no data on on how any of this works in in Bhutan, and so we're it's just trial and error like, is this working? Cool. If it is, let's do more of it. If it's not, let's try something else.
0: Right. Um, So you're, you're going to have like a fall, like harvest party in Bhutan with Club Devin. I mean, what, uh, I know that you talked about, I think doing like some cab or something like what, what are the, what are the barrel samples going to be like in the fall?
1: So, so here's, here's my thinking around this. And the idea was like if you had the first bottle of wine ever made in America like that would be in the Smithsonian. If you had the first bottle of wine ever made in France, it would be in the Louvre. It would be like, this is a piece of history. Right. And I'm about to make the first bottle of wine ever in a country that has never had wine. Before. Right. Like everywhere else in the world that can make wine already does and has for thousands of years. So the idea of of this, like the first barrel um is just a really cool idea and so then the more we explored it the more we said like hey this could actually be now imagine not just having a bottle what if you got to help make (laughs) but the first barrel right like what how cool of a wine trip would that be like go and and actually participate in this moment of history right um and so that's what that's what we're planning on do we were going to do it this year but um just with the pandemic and with the way that the 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 country has been dealing with, with uh, you know keeping keeping basically tourists out. <laughs> we just felt it was going to be too much of, of a pain in the ass to try to pull it together for this summer. So we're going to do it next summer, um, and yeah. So the Club De guys are they're going to make that opportunity available to people who are members of Club De Vin. Um, and I, we're going to be filming a documentary movie about it and like this whole this whole thing so back to the whole question about like what are the barrel samples so here's what I, what i'm kind of struggling with a little bit okay i think it would be cool to for the very first barrel to make it out of all of the different grapes that we have planted in all of the different vineyards. Oh, just yeah. a total field goal. like it will be undrinkable as wine <laughs> But it would be like, this is a part of the, the first thing in this country. All of these vineyards, all these grapes, is everything we're trying. We're going to put it all together, and that's the first barrel.
0: Holy cow. That,
1: that's one approach. Another approach is to say, like, okay, which of the varietals are doing, you know, evolving the best, and let's, let's make a cab, or let's make a Sauvignon Blanc, or let's make a Petit Mansang, or, you know, whichever varietals are looking like they could be the best. And they go back and forth on it. Like, I think both are cool. Um, yeah. The other thing I got to figure out, this is a, this is an interesting one. AJ, I'm interested in your perspective on this. Uh-oh. I have no rules, right? I right. have no rules. I have no wine laws, I have no history, I have no traditions or anything. I can literally if I want to make a Riesling Cabernet blend, there you go. I can do it. Right. So, do you go screw cap or do you go cork?
0: Oh boy. So, Ugh! You know that there, there's that is such a huge debate, right? Oh, um, and you know there are—and
1: are... and, and you think about it, like screw caps. Everyone agrees screw caps are a hundred times better than cork for protecting wine, except for the cork manufacturers. <laughs> they, they, they don't agree, right. but um, but you can control osmotic flow precisely. You never get spoilage. You never get cork taint. Nothing. They're great. Right. But there's this whole sort of pomp and circumstance and and tradition with the cork and the whole routine and doing it um, that is important to some people. Right. But I have no rules. Right. So like logically I should go screw cap, but at the same time, I'm also trying to bring a product from Bhutan to the rest of the world. Do I really want it to be in a screw cap?
0: You know, You, you you know you you break every single mold in the wine world anyway. You know people either really love your newsletter or they hate it, right? So I I would just go honestly I would go screw cap right and just say screw it. This is these, these are my rules. I'm going to set it however I want to. And if you don't like it, oh well. You're you're just you're just missing out.
1: Yeah, go fuck yourself. Right? That's that that's logically I keep coming back to that. But there's a little piece of me that just goes. well, Should I have some some corks? Do I really want the first barrel to be a true cap?
0: <laughs> no, it, it 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 is tough. Um, I was at a winery the other I don't know three or four weeks ago, and literally they had like a DM thirty cork in one of their bottles of wine, and I'm like, geez, a DM thirty? You're really freaking serious about this aging? And I mean, I I, I guess. I, I maybe it depends on like if you do the, the field blend or if you actually, you know, try to put together a nice little, you know, you know, blend of a, of a cab or, or whatever. Uh, maybe that may, might make a difference too.
1: Yeah. I mean, all of these, you know, options are on the table. Yeah. And, and, or maybe do you say, hey, look, For the first barrel, we are going to use corks, but like our normal production, you know, we're going to use screw caps and, you know, you make it special in in some way, shape or form. Did you, it sounded like you maybe listened to a couple of the podcasts. Did you hear the story about, about the name of our winery?
0: I'm trying to think, I'm not recalling it off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, so the tradition in Bhutan, when a baby is born, you know where I'm going with this? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead, go ahead, go. I'll tell it because it it's, it's a cool story,
1: and I like it. So with, when the baby's born, you take the baby down to the monastery, and there are special monks whose job it is to name shit. and they name the babies. And the, you get a first name and a second name. So you can't tell who's related to anybody because everybody has different <laughs> last names. There's no such thing as a family name. Um, and so when we were looking at coming up with a brand for the winery, like, we kind of kicked it around. Bhutan's the land of happiness, and so we thought about, should we call it happy wine? I was kind of into happy wine, but it sounds like a $5 bottle of shitty wine, right? Happy wine? Yeah. Um, and so, finally, we, we had this idea. Where we're like, dude, why don't we just have the, the namer monks name our baby? They they can name it. Um, and so, we went to the master name of monk, and we said, hey, we can name our baby. So He's like, absolutely. <laughs> Let us get back to you on that. So about six weeks go by, and they come back and they go, okay, the name of your winery is Serkem, S-E-R-K-E-M, two words, Serkem. And I go, okay, what the fuck does that mean? Right. And so he goes, "Ah, oh, well, in the Buddhist religion, when you visit a temple, it's considered customary to bring an offering for the gods. And the offering could be food or it could be water, it could be uh, money, or it could be alcohol. And if it's alcohol, then that offering is called Ser Cam, which is the alcohol of the gods. And I'm like, that's a dope-ass wine.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, That that is definitely dope. That is awesome.
1: The, the downside is I have to tell the story, because otherwise <laughs> people are just like, Ser like, what does that mean?
0: Well, you know, yeah, yeah. You'll probably get tired of telling the story, but it's a great story.
1: I, I'm sure it's going on the label in some capacity.
0: Yeah. It, it, you gotta yeah. How
1: to put it on the label.
0: Yeah, it definitely has to.
1: Yeah. So it's, uh, what's funny is, is in Bhutan, um, there's this huge wine tradition, but it's all rice wine. So every family makes their own rice wine and they, each family has their own secret recipe and they argue about who's is better. And if you go to someone's house, they greet you with a bowl of rice wine and of their own making and so i think the the culture around the the idea of a wine community is is pretty strong there um and we just get to be able to now introduce you know vinifera into that mix which is cool
0: yeah no that that is you're doing so many things there and it, it's absolutely oh it's absolutely awesome and i can't wait to hear how it turns out it's it's going to be amazing
1: Dude, 50 years from now <laughs> it's gonna be be awesome yes yes wine is not a game for the the easily uh you know gratification
0: yes yes But i think
1: you know if we do it right you know we can not it's not just about having a vineyard and a bottle of wine it's about building a whole ecosystem where you know picture you're a you're a farmer you're growing some rice so you got some patties uh, and the rice grows on the patties but the hills in between the patties that's not usable you don't know like hills? Grapevines. So maybe we teach them how to fill in the hills with the grapevines, and then we have a co-op model, and people show up with their, you know, their crop of this year's grapes. They bring it down to the co-op, and the whole the whole country can can participate in the prosperity uh, of it. And then, of course, you get the tourism angle and the uh, people making you know trips to come. And then they're going to need hotels to stay at. They're going to need restaurants to have some food with their wine that they're enjoying and yeah we we think the potential is there to really do something amazing.
0: Yeah no not it, it, it up. Yeah no you're <laughs> you're not gonna fuck it up. You're you're doing a great job.
1: I'm trying man. I'm Trying. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan Ryan's an in an investor in the company so he's he's also a big fan of me not fucking it up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. So you're moving from uh California over to the east coast what is uh, what's prompting all of that taxes oh in a nutshell okay
1: i mean it's the the tax situation in california has just gotten out of hand and that's why you're seeing companies and rich people flee like rats you know fleeing a, a burning ship it's just um it's just it's absurd yeah so um what I my intention is to sort of get you know back to the east coast and I mean I travel for work anyway so it doesn't really matter where our home base is uh, I'm going to be on a plane going to wherever I need to go to that week it'll just happen to be my my home base will be on uh-huh.
0: on, the, on the east coast yeah no that but. that is cool and how do you I mean I struggle with all the things that I all the balls in the air that I have going on but like you know you're writing books you have a you know a day gig you're writing you know of uh, the laws for Bhutan and like constantly, you know, keeping track of caterpillars out in the vineyard and whatnot. I mean, how well, do you
1: punk rock NFT albums and, uh, right.
0: I mean, how do you yeah. freaking do it all?
1: So, uh, basically I don't sleep a lot, but what, what happened was, is when I first got divorced, um, I was like a single dad and I was like juggling, you know, three different kids in three different schools. So, I created this routine where I would get up at like three o'clock in the morning and work for like three hours. And then I would do kids stuff and then I would work and I would do kids stuff and baths and dinner and then I would work. And so I like, I rearranged the way I did my work day. And then as the, and then I did that for like a decade. (laughs) Um, And then as the kids got older, they didn't need me. All of a sudden I had like this tons of excess capacity in my life that I had trained kind of my body and my routine to to do. And so all of a sudden I had capacity and I got to, you know, use that for other stuff that I wanted to get done. But I tell you what, that first 10 years was pretty shitty.
0: (laughs) I can imagine. I mean, I, I have my daughter every other week and, you know, just juggling that and everything else. I'm like, Holy cow. I just, I'm, I'm dead. So I was just, kudos for you for you know making it work for 10 years well
1: and that it literally you, like you go into this kind of survival mode where you're just trying to like make it through the day and right. like get everything done and then the next day you're just that you just operate like that for forever and uh and then all of a sudden the kids are old and you're like oh my god i have like just
0: <laughs> i have my life
1: yeah i have my life back yeah it's, it's great because i see a bunch of my friends are all starting to have kids now like one of my best friends has like a a ten-year-old and a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you just talked to me. He just has that shell shock look of like too many soccer games and birthday parties and like no sleep. And I'm like, yeah, I remember that.
0: Welcome to the club. Yep, yep, yep. Well, no, that that is cool. Um, so as you move out into the you know onto the East Coast, you know, I know that uh, you know blindly, you are like, hey, one weekend, you and a a friend was like, yeah, let's go run this marathon. Oh, you know, for your first marathon ever, are you, you know, do you have any plans of like diving into the unknown of something like that again here in the near future?
1: So we're still trying to do um, this thing called the Grand Slam, which is you run a marathon on every continent and then you run one on the North Pole and the sea ice. Like you take helicopters out to the sea ice and and you do it. And so we're up to um, everyone's done six of the continents except me. So I, we went with the group actually Ryan was there and Jim, um, I don't know if you know, Jim, he's an ex society guy too. Okay. Um, we all went to South Africa and, um, and I didn't finish the marathon. Uh, so everybody else did. So I have to go back to Africa and pick up Africa and then we got to do South America and then the North pole. So those are kind of like the next three big, um, running shit shows. Um, I'm yeah. trying to talk Ryan to actually get it off his ass and running one. He just goes and parties. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's, <laughs> the, that's the best part. I don't really like running that much stuff. <laughs> I really like running. It's <laughs> terrible. You don't uh, do it because you love it. You do it because you want to get the medal.
0: Exactly. Um, so yeah, yeah,
1: so I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll figure this out. Obviously, the pandemic put, a, put quite the crimp in our, our travel plans, and I'm horribly out of shape now, but...
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Most definitely. Um, so I I assume like all the the titles you know drinking and and knowing things I assume that you know came from Tyrion Lannister off of Game of Thrones right.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's I I, I assume, but I wasn't sure. So your your latest <laughs> book, uh, you know, travel guide to to New Zealand, um, uh, like what what crawled up your your rear. And it was like, Hey, I'm just going to do a travel guide instead of talking about wine.
1: You know what it was? Uh, it was, Anne um, was, was like, literally she goes, you know, like people love drinking and knowing things, but like, everyone's always asking you like, Oh, I'm going to Napa. Like, where should I go? I'm like, she's like, you should just write, write down like information for people when they're going to Napa. I go, okay. I don't know that I really want to do that. And then she goes, Oh no, no. no. Why don't you do it for France? And I go, France is harder than (laughs) that. You could have an encyclopedia, you know, uh, of all the places to go in France. And so, um, I was like, New Zealand is sort of manageable. Like, you could get your head around it, and I could probably write it pretty quickly. And I know a fair bit about New Zealand wine. Um, And so, I'm like, I'll just try it and and see if people like it. Like, and if they do, maybe I'll do some more. Um, And so far, you know, the receptions. Everyone that's read it has loved it. Um, I don't know if you've taken a spin through it. Yet. It's pretty short; it's only about like ninety pages.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've I've perused it a little bit. I haven't dove in a whole bunch.
1: Yeah, and I mean, who knows? Like, if if it, it is kind of set up for, like, hey, I'm gonna go on a wine trip to New Zealand. Right. Here's some information about where to go, where to stay, what to do. Ryan went on that trip with us too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> so that that. Was, that
1: quite the shit show. I yeah.
0: I, I can imagine no, though. That, that is absolutely awesome.
1: So I actually, so this is funny. Um, Ryan is actually the lion, the the guy that I constantly refer to. As <laughs> that. So that, that's it. Now we know. Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, when he wrote the thing, you know, I went through it for him uh, right away and kind of uh, gave some, some critique and some, some editing on it. So, and since I was on the trip, you know, hey firsthand
0: <laughs> First hand experience. That's always the yeah. best.
1: Yeah, actually I usually um Ryan is like one of my go to guys too for for like I usually let him do the first drafts of all my books because he usually has some pretty good shit to come back with. So I have like three or four people that are my my beta testers. One of them is Ryan.
0: Yeah, no, that that is awesome. So if anybody wants to like sign up for your newsletter or, you know, get your books or whatever, where, where do they need to go?
1: They can just go to drinking and and you can sign up for the newsletter. Just put your email in and, and just start getting it. Um, there's links to all of my books on drinking and knowing things as well. Um, or you can just go directly to Amazon. Um, actually, I don't think the New Zealand one is up on the website yet, but it's, it's definitely available on Amazon. Um, so yeah, um, the more the merrier, man. As long as you uh, don't mind a lots of lots of F bombs <laughs> that are into wine, like that's a it's a fun little wine. Little
0: yeah. Yeah, no, it is definitely colorful and wonderful. I, I, I enjoy reading it uh every single week when it comes out. That's awesome, man. Yeah.
1: I got I got fanboyed. Yeah okay. uh, I got I got fanboyed at Pro Wine. This is actually oh. hysterically funny. I was talking to you, did you see the movie Psalm?
0: Yes, yes yeah, yeah, of course. Okay,
1: So remember in the first Saw movie, there was the guy that everyone called dad. Yeah. It was Ian Cobble. Right, right. So I'm sitting there, and Ian Cobble is like standing right next to me. We're both like drinking Menthea. I go, <laughs> hey, you're fucking Ian Cobble. And he goes, yeah, who are you? And I go, I'm Mike. And he goes, oh, okay. So we're talking, and this dude comes running up to me and goes, you're the drinking and knowing things guy. And I'm like, <laughs> I am. And he goes, Can I get a selfie with you? And I go Absolutely, you can get a selfie with me. So Ian is like who is way more famous in the wine world than I am. Right. Uh is not getting fanboyed, but I was. And then I was like, That's awesome.
0: It, it it is awesome. It's uh you know, I don't know about for you, but you know, when I go out into Oregon wine country and I'm recognized, I'm like, Oh yeah, hi and it just it's it's just kind of a weird feeling.
1: It it is, yeah. And I mean, I, let me put it this way. It doesn't happen to me very often, but
0: right. It, it doesn't happen to me often either, but yeah, it's that, that is awesome. I mean, it's, it's always a good feeling to get recognized out in the real world for all the, this virtual stuff that we do. Totally. Yeah.
1: And I think I, you know, uh, I, I, I think that the tattoos are, make me also maybe a little more recognizable than the, the average Joe. Like someone sees the tattoo and I'm like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that is awesome. Well, as we kind of wrap things up, is there anything else that you would like to let everybody know about?
1: Um, well, I mean, I'll just, I'll, maybe I'll just plug some stuff. Um, Go for it. So uh, if you're interested in, in checking out the the world's first punk rock album to drop as an NFT, you can uh, search for uh, Blockchain Killed the Video Star by my punk band, Incandescibles. If you're interested in... Uh, That's sex- on OpenSea, too, so...
0: Yes, we and I'll, I'll provide a link to, to when to when this comes out as well.
1: Yeah, and then uh, I think for um, – we didn't talk about the rum company, but I, oh, I yeah. own the world's highest rated uh, platinum rum, a 95-point rum, which is SoCal Rum. If you're at all interested in rum or tiki, check out SoCalRum.com. Uh, and then, obviously, drink the known things. So I yeah. uh, certainly love the opportunity to get into uh, – plug all my shit on your, on your show, AJ. So I appreciate the uh
0: Glad the, to do that. Yeah, no, it's been an awesome conversation. I can't thank you enough. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, man. All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: Cheers, buddy. Take Cheers. care.